0: And it's, it's really more about the value that you deliver to clients rather than You know what it actually costs you to put it into place.
1: This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House Podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high-level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, Level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On today's episode, we welcome the founder of Rapid Contract Marketing and young entrepreneur Leon Bennett to the show. Today, we will go through how Leon built his business, talking about the tipping points that helped him along the way, and why Leon still cold calls prospective clients. He will give us some tips on high conversion landing pages, tell us why the hustle mentality doesn't work for him. And towards the end of the show, Leon shares with us why he loves Melbourne, Australia, and why you should too. It's an incredible episode, and without further ado, let's welcome Leon Bennett to the show. Welcome, Leon, to the podcast. How are you today? Thanks for having me, Chrissy. I'm doing really well. And you're calling in from beautiful Melbourne, Australia. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, I am in. Uh, I'm in Melbourne. Uh, this is from my from my home office here. All right.
1: Well, Leon, let's jump into the podcast and get to know you as an entrepreneur and how you built the business that you have today. So go ahead and share a bit about yourself.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah, so I I run a business um, that helps home improvement companies uh, generate more leads. Um, And the way we do that is by building them really nice high conversion landing pages um, and and strapping really well-managed AdWords campaigns to it. Um, And then that sort of generates them or or builds them a really predictable system for for getting new business. Um, A lot of these guys, they've tried AdWords before and haven't really got a lot of results from it. Um, So by changing up a few things, you know, uh, most of my competition don't really use landing pages. They're sort of asleep at the wheel on the campaigns. So we we mix that up and um, they get far, far better results and, and really good ROI. Uh, but it's been a it's been a fairly long and winding path to get to this point and and get doing this so uh, yeah I mean I I started out uh, well I guess when I always had an idea that I didn't want to work full-time forever um, that you know I even when I was a kid I didn't think that was the right way to go that you know you should work 35 40 hours a week for 40 years and then retire that seemed a bit weird um, but I didn't really have any idea of how I was going to do that um, and so I just thought oh, well, I'll, I'll just study a bit and, and get a job and then I'll have some money behind me and I'll figure it out eventually. Um, and I didn't think about it a whole lot more until I was, um, until I was about 18 um, and I was studying IT. Um, I I'd tried to get into university for graphic design but um, I didn't get into any of my courses because I was kind of lazy at school. Uh, <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I ended up studying IT instead, um, and I was doing some IT work for a local business here, a manufacturing business, uh, and they had a really interesting setup. It was very fortunate I got to work there because uh, they'd spent serious amounts of money implementing Kanban and Lean systems and you know, sort of Toyota manufacturing uh, Kaizen, um, and, and this place just ran like clockwork. It was amazing the the level of dedication they put into this and just work um so i was doing you know random it jobs for them on the weekends and my days off uh and i got to know the owner there quite well um and he took me through a lot of how that works and all of that but uh really key turning point there was uh he he'd just been in japan for five weeks skiing uh, and he came back and he called me and he said, oh, we've got to do a, a small fix on the server. Can you come down? I said, okay. So I drove, it was about a 20-minute drive down there. And this was like a three-minute change. It was nothing. And so like, go, oh, hey, Nick, here's, here's how you do this. We've got to do it again next week. Um, are you able to do it? Uh, instead of me driving down, you know, 20 minutes for three minutes of work. And he goes, oh, actually, would you be able to come down? I'm, I'm going to be away. And I said, what are you talking about? You've just come back from Japan. And he goes, uh, yeah, we're going off again to Japan for another four weeks. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're the managing director here. How the hell do you do that? Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, oh, this is what you got to aim for. He said, uh, read, read The Four-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. This was like 2009, so it only came out a couple of years earlier. And... Uh, yeah, he said, read that. He's like, I don't work a four-hour work week when I'm here. I'm, I work maybe 20, but you know, I've got the option. It's not really what it's about. He's like, it's 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 got some. It, it, that'll that'll set you down a good path if you're interested. Like, oh, okay, so I drove home thinking about this the whole way and ordered that and uh, yeah, read uh, read the four-hour work week, which was uh, you know a mindset shift, and I think it's it was like that for a lot of people who who read that book as a sort of first business book. Um, so that was, that was very key, but I still sat around thinking about all of this for another four years. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I finished my course, uh, and then ended up in, in IT for two years. Um, and the whole time I was sort of thinking about, okay, what can I, what can I get started to generate some sort of passive income? And I remember listening to Pat Flynn and guys like that. Um, but it wasn't really till I, I went to a three week trip to Europe with my, then girlfriend now wife um back it was about four or five years ago yeah four and a half years ago mm-hmm. and um yeah i went to europe for three weeks took took three weeks off work and uh, and came back and i was like really it would really re-energized me and and made me sort of think no this is this is what i wanted to spend more time doing you know having that freedom to travel i don't want to just take a couple of weeks leave every year and and go off and you know spend all this money I'd saved over the year every year like it, I had to be able to go for a few months and really embrace it right and uh, and so it sort of yeah it, it forced me to think about it again um, and so I ended up very shortly after that enrolling in the foundation by Dane Maxwell which mm-hmm. was uh, yeah, a course to build a SAS SAS product in um, in six months it was a really good course. I didn't build a SaaS business, but I, I learned a hell of a lot. Um, and that sort of six months of, uh, of well, the last six months in that job uh, were just killing me. We, we were doing a lot of traveling. I was sort of working late hours and it was, it was messing with my ability to, to build this business. Um, so I just eventually came to the conclusion that I, I needed to quit um, and, and give myself the time to, to make the business a success. Which was was pretty risky because I didn't really have any money. Um, I've never been a particularly good saver, so (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't have heaps—maybe four or five thousand—and and uh, and so I just decided to quit. And uh, yeah, then thought, well, I'll figure it out. Um, And I thought pretty quickly, I could probably sell websites that would be a quick something I could get off the ground and get some cash flow through and, and start talking to people in the market and then go on and build some software product. Um, and so I started doing that and I think after about five weeks of trying, uh, I think I did some small courses as well, but uh, I got like a $1,500 website client, uh, which was pretty exciting, but uh, yeah, then got a couple more in, but it was like, it was not enough to, to pay rent um, got down to about 20 bucks in my bank account four months after quitting my job and uh, yeah I thought it was pretty much over at that point and uh, yeah ended up looking through all the people I'd contacted and realizing there's this, this one lady in, uh, in Queensland who we'd built her like a demo website or something and I'd never had the meeting with her properly we'd never found a good time so I just followed up with her again and you know, two days after that, closed a, a two thousand dollar sale, which kept me alive. <laughs> uh, really, very, very fortunate. Um, but I realised there was a there was a big problem. Uh, I mean, I, I was woefully undercharging for these sites for the amount of work that went into them. Um, it was very hard to get anything predictable. Um, I was really having to hustle for leads, I was cold calling most of the time, which, you know, conversion rates aren't great when you're cold calling to sell websites to people. Right. Um, (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I changed tactics up. and I did some other training through through Sam Ovens. Um, And if you've been on Facebook recently and you're interested into anything entrepreneurial, his ads have probably hit you at some point. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I enrolled very early in one of his training courses and uh he sort of um showed how to go after higher end clients and and use some tactics like lumpy mail and um you know improve the sales process and all of that uh so i started sending yeah lumpy mail packages out and, and got some some bigger deals on it started to uh started to flow and um and then sort of slowly shifted into generating more predictable income in the business uh with Ongoing monthly retainers that sort of thing um, So that yeah that that sort of got the business actually to a point where it could support itself um, but The next sort of year and a half two years uh, The problem I got myself was that each client was very very different from the next um, And I was trying to do sort of multiple things for each of them in different industries. Yeah, uh, so I, I just got myself a job really <laughs> Um, and uh, there was no way I could scale the business up any further than, than where it was, because uh, you just can't write processes for, you know, five different things for five different clients. Um, it, it's not economical. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I'm, I'm unlikely to put that much work in. So, uh, yeah, I ended up realizing I, um, I really needed to niche down in both who I was targeting and, and what I was offering them. Um, And part of what I'd realized is that the the one thing I found I was quite good at was was building uh, landing pages out um, And I quite enjoyed that work Um, And the the other good thing was whenever we took landing pages and we strapped them to a PPC campaign it, It tended to work a lot better than anything else we were doing for clients and So my thinking was well hey if I can find a niche that will almost certainly benefit from just doing this strategy just putting this in place um, then, that's all they have to do to charge, you know, a, a reasonable amount of money per month uh, to manage all of that and, and keep it working well. Um, so I ended up, um, yeah, niching down into home improvements. Um, they were a good fit for a few reasons. Sort of your high-value um, sales, and uh, you know, they they generally have a fairly short sales cycle, which is pretty important, so we can. At the end of the month, we can show that they've got return on investment from what they've spent with us and what they've spent on ads, um, and we're able to go through and figure out exactly how much money they've made, which is which is fun. Um, so yeah, I started uh, with with one client who sells uh, sells gutter guarding. So they put uh, a mesh over your gutters, okay, and it stops leaves getting in. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, okay. random random niche, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, that was that was about February last year. We started work with them and. We've really grown their business up. They were sort of low six figures, and they're they're doing over seven figures now um, off off you know one AdWords campaign um, so yeah, and now it's just been the last year's been about replicating that and uh, selling it to to other people in various home improvement niches and sort of continued to get good results there so it's that's really good.
1: Leon, what would you say was? kind of the tipping point for your business because you started out cold emailing and then <laughs> right and now your business is pretty strong and, and how long ago was that when you started this business
0: um so i started halfway through 2013
1: okay and yeah. so you're roughly four years into it more or less yeah getting close yeah and so you're, you're doing pretty well now and I, i'm kind of curious what do you feel personally was the tipping point
0: Four. I don't know if it's just one. It's it's like a, a series of small tipping points. Uh, and then you look back at the way you were running your business then and go, geez, what, what was I doing? Like that, that made no sense. And I'm sure I'll have the same perception two years from now when I, I know, look back at now. I know that feeling well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's been a bunch of tipping points. Um, obviously, niching down was a huge one. Um, and I think very early on, like, realizing just how much value you can deliver to a business and how much you can charge. You know, when I I first started, I thought charging 1500 bucks for a website was obscene (laughs) Mm -hmm. and there's people charging a hell of a lot more than that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really more about the value that you deliver to clients rather than, you know, what it actually costs you to put it into place that, that knowledge of, of what to do for them has value, not just the physical work. Um, so that, that was, I think a fairly big tipping point and that's, that's advice you sort of hear around a lot now in, in consulting circles is charge on value, but it's, it's so important to internalize that. Um, and then yeah, niching down was a game changer. Um, you know, deciding I'm not going to do SEO. I'm not going to do Facebook ads. I'm not going to write your blog content. I'm not going to, uh, you know, make little changes on your website. This is what I do and all I have to do is this one thing for these kind of people um, and I'll get them results and it'll be, the results will be far more predictable and there's suddenly a really clear path for how you can scale the business because you can actually start writing processes to, to you know, stop doing the work yourself and, and get that outsourced and uh, yeah, that, that's a huge change. Um, so yeah, that, that made things a lot easier. And it's funny, yeah, sort of looking back, like I started with with cold calling and I actually still cold call, except now when I cold call, I talk about results I've got from for other customers. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the first things I talk about, like a just a short sentence. This is what we did for someone else in this niche. And the difference you get is night and day compared to, you know, calling up and saying, hey, we do websites for this industry. Saying we got these results for this customer, would you be interested in having a having a chat? Or are you looking to grow your business? And you've immediately got interest, and suddenly cold calling is fun. And it's not pain painful anymore, and it actually has remarkably good conversion rates. How often uh,
1: are you cold calling these days, or how much time are you putting into that?
0: Uh, it's it's reasonably haphazard. Um, I've had bursts of it in the past, and then gone right. Let's let's put some more focus into systems. Um, I probably should have been a lot more consistent with it. Uh, like most things I do, I should be a lot more consistent, but I'm not. Um, but, uh, I've, I've got email marketing going on as well. Um, so that's, that's reasonably consistent to cold emails. Um, and then it's just something I do on top, but, um, I've had situations where I just go, Oh, I've got nothing to do this afternoon. I'm going to call a couple of people. I've, I've called three people. One of them's agreed to the meeting, the next day I've, I've sold them over the phone and, you know, they're giving me their credit card details. That's, uh, that's really effective then. It's such a short sales cycle compared to, yeah, I guess when I started I was, uh, I was writing up big proposals and sending them out and then following up with people for weeks. Um, so I don't do that anymore. That, that's been a game changer too.
1: Let's talk about some of your specialties and I know your talents lie in high conversion landing pages and PPC. I'd like to talk a little bit about that Leon and maybe some two or three tips that you could give for the listeners.
0: Yeah. So, uh, this is, this was an interesting circle coming back to doing this kind of work because, uh, yeah, when I was in high school, I was really heavily into, um, to graphics and, uh, uh, yeah design and uh, especially working Photoshop and stuff like that um, and I thought that's what I was going to do for a job for a while but yeah didn't get into anything and and, and changed um, so I, I always had some skills there and some sense of design but I wasn't outrageously good or, or anything like that um, but I've, I found I really enjoyed uh, building them again and I was I was good enough you know they they look better than most people's landing pages. Um, And it's still sort of at that point, I'd say out of all the skills I actually uh, use for client work, not skills in building the business, but stuff that I actually implement for clients, I'm probably strongest on the user interface and the user experience front. But I wouldn't really say I'm a good designer um, as a web designer. You know, if you put me on a large web design project, uh, I don't think I'd do very well. I don't know. Um, how to export everything properly for developers and splice stuff and and all of that that detailed intricacy that that a a pro knows. Um, I can't do icon design or logo design or uh, anything other than sort of simple editing of of vectors. Uh, um, So it's just having skills in a very certain area. I I know how to lay things out on a website or, or on a landing page. I know what looks good. I know what works well from a marketing perspective. Um, and sort of how to use color and fonts and it's really just a lot of hacks you, you compile to to consistently put out work that that people think looks really good um and so uh yeah i've i've been really interested lately i've i've been reading a book by um scott adams uh how to fail at every how to fail at almost everything and still succeed mm-hmm. and uh he talks about this idea of having a talent stack, um, and this really resonated with me because something I'd, I'd sort of thought about for a while. But, and he says that you know, for each each new skill that you you become good at, you you double your odds of success. Now he says that that's not strictly true. Some skills are obviously way more valuable than others. But the idea is that if you build skills that can complement each other, um, it dramatically increases your odds of success. And you don't have to be an expert at any one of them. I'm not an expert UX and UI designer. Um, and, uh, you know, I can write sales copy, but I'm not a great copywriter. It's, it's a long, painful process if I'm, I want to write a page of sales copy. But in the end, it'll come out okay. And uh, I understand how it works, you know, and I can evaluate good copy from other people. Yeah. And, uh, on the PPC side, you know, I don't, I don't manage the PPC campaigns myself. Um, I'm, I'm not skilled enough to do that, uh, in that area. I know enough to talk to clients about it. I know enough to think about the high level strategy and, and enough to talk to my PPC manager and understand what he's talking about and what we need to do and, uh, all of that. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not a, it's not a very detailed, deep understanding of it. Yeah. Um, and then I was going to say, there's a few others sort of having an understand understanding of business principles and, and being pretty good with customers and sales and having an understanding of this market. When you combine all of these skills that you're only moderately good at, suddenly you can do work that no one else is really doing or, or can quite do it that, in the way you do it. Um, so I, I think people shouldn't feel intimidated about You know, if they're looking at starting an agency or doing anything that they need to become amazingly skilled, it's actually the combination of a bunch of different skills and just being good enough at them that that really improves your odds of success.
1: If that makes sense, because I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs that the way their minds work and people in general, the way their minds work, they just can't focus on one skill to master. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or even two, because their brains are just going in so many different directions. And I think that's probably really refreshing for a lot of people to hear because the old adage, you know, master a skill and then you'll become richer. I don't know. I just made that old (laughs) adage up. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs can really relate to. Now earlier, I, I, go ahead, I, go ahead.
0: I think if you've got that um, that drive to master one skill, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And you can do really well doing that. And maybe if you master one skill and then become sort of good at a couple of other complementary ones, that's really great too. But if that's not who you are, if you're not the person to really do that deep dive on one thing, then you shouldn't feel overwhelmed by this pressure to do that. You know, yeah. it's, it's not the only path. Yeah, I agree.
1: And you mentioned something earlier that I found interesting about the hustle and the grind mentality and, it, and how it doesn't really work for you. And this is something that I was curious about because also this is ingrained in our quote unquote entrepreneurial culture is, you know, you have to have the hustle, hashtag hustle, Gary V's a Mr. Hustle <laughs> and yep. everybody's saying, you know, learning more tips about how to be more productive and do more things and get everything done as fast as you can and hustle, hustle, hustle. So let's talk a little bit about that and why you feel that just does not work for you.
0: Yeah, um, look, I, I think that that sort of advice can work really well for some people, and if you're able to do it, then all power to you because you, you're you're going to be able to achieve you know amazing things with that that work ethic. Um, and it is also something everyone should think about in that you you should like try and improve your capacity for, for, you know, uh, doing the work, right. In, improve the amount that you can do each day. However, I think the problem is that for people who struggle with this, um, is that it becomes a little bit toxic to their overall success. And that I think a lot of people think that it's absolutely required. If you start a business, you have to do 12 hour days for the first two years or it's just never going to succeed. Um, and I mean, I've always been kind of lazy um, and <laughs> uh, always looking, I guess, for for a way to do things uh, a little bit quicker or, or, or cheat the system in some ways. Now that's, that's served me well in a lot of ways. It's also hindered me in, in a lot of other ways. Um, and sort of by starting this business and going through it, I've learned which areas I need to change there. But at the same time, I've never found that that 10 hour hustle is just true. You know, that's, that's not really what's necessary to, to be successful yet. Yeah, you, will if you can do it, you'll probably, you'll probably get there a hell of a lot faster. Um, I, I don't doubt that, but um, I, I guess really it depends on what you work on too. But, I, I don't think people should be put off, you know, potentially becoming an entrepreneur or starting a business just because they don't feel like they're organized enough or that they have that sort of work ethic. Because uh, I had none of that. Um, I don't, you know, I didn't have very good work work ethic. I still don't have great work ethic. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm much more organized than I, I was when I started. Uh, I sort of have memories of little scraps of paper with client notes floating all over my desk, which was piled high with stuff. Um, and that doesn't go on as much anymore. I've, I've built some systems I sort of stick to, um, but you know that's just been a slow improvement. That's taken nearly yeah four years <laughs> to get that far, uh, and it's still a struggle. So you don't have to feel guilty about that. You just have to learn. Okay, how do I focus on focus on the things that are going to be most essential to growing the business? That you know the old eighty twenty. Uh, mentality and that's that's one that that takes a long time to sort of learn what that looks like Um, and and just you know making I think consistency is really more important than um, than grind I think if you consistently put four or five hours in a day and you try and make sure that the work you do is good quality and and focused on the right things focused on actually growing your business and improving it um, you can build a really successful business doing that Um, so People have to figure out what works best for them.
1: What works best for you? So do you keep like a typical six, eight hour work day or just kind of work when you feel like it or, um, (laughs) you know, do one important thing every day?
0: Okay. So um, I've got a lot of things I try to do, habits I try and build. So, uh, you know, the whole get a really good morning routine going. I had that going for a while and I was meditating and exercising every morning and uh getting up at six and that's lasted you know two months that's that's my longest stretch was two months of doing that Mm -hmm. and at the moment i just sort of find myself getting up and going downstairs for a coffee straight away (laughs) um (laughs) and so that's a morning ritual too (laughs) it is it is that's that's the one i keep that uh it's um it tends to go in like bursts of a few months. I'll do something for a few months or a few weeks and then I'll do something else. Sometimes I'll get up early and I'll work in the morning and I'll I'll sit down. and There's certain techniques I've found that work well. Um, using uh, Pomodoro technique, uh, you know, the 25-minute timer. I tried that for years. It never worked. Uh, and it was only when I um, – uh, you were at DCBKK. You would have got one of those – self journals too that they they gave out to everyone yeah um that's actually been really good i've i've i'm two pages off finishing it because i uh, i've missed it a couple of couple of days but um uh, yeah no that's been really really good for staying focused um and then scheduling it based on like half hour slots so i can use pomodoro there when i need to mm-hmm. um but it's never anything consistent you know it'll be like okay, I need to do something today and, and actually get some work done. And I'll I'll have these strategies in my head that I've heard about. Like, oh, let's try this. And that'll work for long enough. Um, so it's, it's sort of constantly trying stuff and it's it's pretty messy, but there's been steady improvement. Uh, I used to have sort of two or three week patches where I'd get absolutely nothing done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't happen anymore. I, I still have, I guess... Um, quite big swings up and down in, in my overall energy and productivity. But even on the sort of bad weeks, I'm getting enough done that everything's okay. Yeah. Um, and then on the good weeks, I'm, I'm making real progress. So, yeah, the shift is never like, oh, I'm going to come up with these habits I'm going to do every day and I'm going to get that perfect and I'm never going to break from it. You know, some people can do that, but um, there's a lot of people who, who will have tried stuff like that and you know it's all fallen apart after a few weeks or a week or maybe a few days. Um, and I think what's what's more important is that you're always sort of trying something. Yeah. Um, um, I've generally got some system I'm working on, or I'm you know even if it's just like getting a blank page of a notebook and writing down everything in my head and then prioritizing it a little bit so I can just get started. Um, uh, and 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 escape the monkey mind a bit. Um, then that works. Uh, and it's, it's messy, but you improve, you get a lot better at this stuff. And, and, and you find that the level you've got to be at is, is actually not as high as you thought, as long as you're focused on the right things.
1: I've heard quite a few amazing things about Melbourne, and I've, I know some other digital nomads and location-independent entrepreneurs like to head down to that city every now and then. And I have a close friend who actually moved down there, and she says amazing things about the city. So tell me what, from your perspective, Leon, how long you've been there and, and why you love Melbourne.
0: Yeah, so I, um, I grew up here. Um, so I've lived, I, I used to live out in the country a bit, but since it was about, uh, nine, I think I've lived, lived in Melbourne. Um, and the city's really actually transformed in that time and, and changed a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm keen to get more, more people who are, who are location independent entrepreneurs down here. There's a, there's a decent scene, but, um, yeah, I think a lot of people sort of hear about it, but feel, feel Melbourne's too far from everything. But um, no, the thing that's really interesting here is uh, it's it's not so much a city you'd go to to do a whole bunch of sightseeing. Uh, yeah, there is some really cool stuff to check out, but it's it's more it's it's good as a city to live in um, from a, a cultural perspective. Uh, so if you like food, uh, <laughs> Melbourne's a very very good <laughs> place to travel to because uh, we've got, yeah, cu- people from all around the world, you know, immigrants from a lot of different countries who've come in over the years and brought in their own culture and their food. Um, and so you can find authentic food from anywhere in the world and, and really high-quality food, um, which, is, which is cool because there's just so many amazing restaurants doing this stuff. Uh, the other thing that that's ha- uh, the, the uh, immigrant population is sort of partially caused we had a lot of um, Italian immigrants after World War II who brought uh, the espresso machine over. Yeah. And uh, so coffee is just, uh, it's a bit of a religion down here. Um, and I mean, I was in Rome last year and the, the level of obsession doesn't even really compare. Wow. <laughs> you know, so uh, they, yeah, they, they brought the espresso machine to, to a certain patch of Carlton, which is a sort of inner city suburb. And uh, about 20 years ago, yeah, the the sort of third wave coffee started sweeping through. Um, and now for about the last maybe 10, 15 years, there's, the, the coffee competition got so intense and you could get really good coffee from everywhere. So um, now it's sort of become a, a, a competition for who can dish up the best breakfast with it too. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> this, this just ridiculous breakfast scene has evolved breakfast and brunch and lunch and um, and so you can go into one of hundreds of cafes and and they'll bring you out something that looks like it should be in a Michelin star restaurant for 15-20 bucks uh, which is pretty amazing so yeah I I spent a bit of time traveling last year and there's there's little hints of it starting to emerge I, uh, I went to a couple of good places in Barcelona uh, and found out later they were run by Aussies, which was funny. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's starting to seep over, but it's, it's just been going so strongly here for, for quite a while that it's, it's like nothing else. It's, it's insane.
1: Now, what do you think brought all the diversity and those different cultures to a place like Melbourne?
0: Um, well, I mean, yeah, it was, it's really uh, post-World uh, War II is when a lot of this immigration happened. And then later on, um, you know, sort of 90s, early 2000s, we've had a lot of uh, immigration from the Middle East as well. So um, it's really good Lebanese food and Afghan food just around the corner from me. Uh, really good kebabs. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just Australia was a small place. You know, we have, we've got plenty of space. Uh, and people could get over here cheaply and rebuild, and there was a lot of opportunity. So, all of those people have done really well, and uh, I think it's been it's been managed really well too. Um, so, yeah, it's just this huge melting pot, I guess, now, and uh, and that makes it a really interesting city. Um, and I think the thing that's been built on top of that is is everyone's sort of. Embrace these other cultures and then re you know, taking bits and pieces from different places, especially with food and stuff like that. And and so now you've got, um, uh, yeah, in the, in the food scene, you've got these sort of modern Australian chefs taking inspiration from everywhere and and using really good local ingredients too. So, yeah, uh, but that that sort of appears in a lot of areas. It's not just food, it's art, and uh, you know, you've got festivals that that happen and uh, really good sporting events down here if you're into that. Um, so the the city is a uh, is a really interesting place. It's um, you know the the central business district in Melbourne's like sort of riddled with little laneways filled with cafes and restaurants and stuff. And um, yeah, it's there's there's a lot of exploring and a lot of um, a lot of things tucked away and hidden, which makes it quite fun. Very cool.
1: So big shout out for Melbourne,
0: Australia. That's it. Come down, hit me up. I'm yeah. happy to uh, happy to show people around.
1: Very nice, my friend, Leon. We're going to have to wrap up there. If the listeners want to reach out to you and make contact, where's the best place they can do that at?
0: Uh, Email is probably best. Uh, I'm not really on uh, on on Twitter, and uh, yeah, my Facebook, I just sort of keep to myself most of the time. Um, so yeah, Leon at RapidContractorMarketing would very, be the best place. If people want to pose me any questions.
1: Very cool. We have to give you a big thank you for coming on the show, my friend. Thanks for sharing your tips and your tricks and your wisdom with us. We really appreciate you, and we really appreciate your time.
0: Thanks for having me, Chris.
1: And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thanks once again for joining us, and we will see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six- and seven-figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. Doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six- and seven-figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at TheEntrepreneurHouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through TheEntrepreneurHouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.